we all have these feelings of self-doubt and resentment and selfishness. And then we all have these feelings of possibility and optimism and generosity. And that when you feel yourself veering towards the former, just recognize that you're getting plagued by this mindset of scarcity, where you think that there's not enough, where you think that things can go wrong. And that the opposite of that is a mindset of abundance, where if you invest your time, things will go right. People will support you, that good things and great things are still possible. And the most important thing I've used on myself is just to recognize when you're getting plagued by thoughts of scarcity and just we have a joke on the campaign. You can even say mindset of abundance <laughs> to yourself. It actually helps. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. Imagine a new society built upon the mindset of abundance instead of the mindset of scarcity. Imagine a society that transcends beyond the old dichotomy of socialism versus capitalism in a way that takes advantage of the very best of both worlds. Now imagine a society that directly eradicates the root cause of poverty, and instead of measuring its progress based on chasing GDP and the almighty dollar, it's a society that measures its progress based upon what we humans actually value, like quality of life, health, happiness, well-being, freedom from substance abuse, volunteerism, community, and so on. Now imagine a leader in this country that's a genius problem solver, a visionary that respects all races and genders, a person who's funny, nerdy, humble, yet confident. Think this sounds like some distant utopia? It's time to think again. My guest today is the presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, whose platform seems to be from the future. But the more you listen to him talk, the more you realize that this kind of reality is available to us right now. Andrew has done the math and he's discovered that we don't need to be living in a society where 79% of Americans are struggling, living paycheck to paycheck, and half the country can't handle an unexpected four or $500 expense. There is nothing stopping us from declaring ourselves a dividend, the freedom dividend, of a universal basic income of $1,000 a month for every American 18 plus. Andrew shares a beautiful vision of what he calls human-centered capitalism, where we realign our economic incentives back with our human values. On his website, yang2020.com, he has flushed out over a hundred game-changing policies. And not only does he have the most interesting and revolutionary platforms of all the candidates, he's also an eloquent, fun, and engaging speaker. He's refreshingly non-politician-y and has a way of calling out the BS in our political system with clarity, respect, and humor. And it so happens that we went to high school together. So please 
help me in welcoming the founder of Venture for America, author of the best-selling book, The War on Normal People, the 2020 presidential candidate, Andrew Yang. Wow, that was the best intro ever. Thank you so much, Edith. I should have you uh, introduce me and hype me up everywhere I go. I, you know, that would kind of be a dream. The energy of this campaign is just so amazing. Congratulations on the rocking debate performance. You know, they called you the longer than long shot. And now we're really seeing the huge momentum because honestly, you're just speaking to the heart and soul of the, the frustrations and also the dreams and aspirations of every human being. That's so kind. Uh, I understand why people are turned off by politics. I get it. I really do. Uh, And it seems like a giant waste of time and energy for many, many people who uh, have the ability to make positive improvements in their own environments, in their own lives. I was drawn to it by the certainty that we're going through this fundamental transformation of our economy. And most Americans, most politicians don't understand what it means. And so I felt driven to try and make the case to the American people. And I'm happy to say it's coming through loud and clear, but really it's people like you that are helping us get the word out. So thank you so much. You know, it's such an honor to support your campaign because honestly, it doesn't feel good to have a huge part of our society that is so influencing our everyday experience of life, but you don't agree with it. You know, you don't feel like you're in harmony with it. So you kind of just survive like, well, I'm just going to not watch the news that much. The two-party system arguing about everything and and causing more divisiveness and not actually moving our country forward. So it's so exciting to finally have a candidate that we feel like we can align with. That makes me so glad to hear. No, one of the only possible virtues of the exhaustion of Trump is that think the country is ready for something very different and that we have to take advantage of this chance to swing the pendulum dramatically in the, the other direction. So can you give us a little bit of story? What gave you the guts to run for presidency? Because a lot of us complain about the system not working, but you actually got up the courage and said, I'm going to run for president with no political experience in your past. And you came out of nowhere and now you're a real contender. Tell us about how you got, got the guts and the courage and aligned everything possible. You know, Edith, a lot of it was my being invited to the White House several times in 2012, 2015, the Obama administration. While I was the founder and CEO of Venture for America, I met dozens of lawmakers, senators, governors, congressmen and women. And after you're around that group of people, you realize that they're just like you, or in some cases, maybe not quite the person that you imagine they might be. (laughs) And, And you realize, holy cow, the people who are meant to be running our country are not really seeing what they should be seeing. And worse yet, if you talk to them, they listen to you, but you can kind of sense that it's uh, going in one ear and out the other, in part because they have this giant set of institutions around them and their incentives are tied to many of the existing companies and individuals who have their ear. And you see this and you realize that it's going to get worse and nothing's going to change it. 
and you realize that you have the capacity to maybe make that change, then you feel like you have no choice but to to do your best and take a, a shot at changing the conversation. And I know there are many people who look up and felt the same things that I felt where they, they were concerned about the future of the country. But my experience running Venture for America over seven years gave me the courage to think that I could change the conversation. And also I was exposed enough to what it would mean to, for, to actually run for president and to build a team, to get voters behind you, to raise money. I felt like I could do those things. So what does your family think? What, what did your wife and your parents, your brother, what did they all think when you announced that you were going to run for president? Well, my parents are Asian. <laughs> so they, uh, I, you know, it's funny I say that because I don't know how Asian parents would respond most of the time. But my parents did not emphasize politics to our family growing up. So they didn't think that it was necessarily a great thing to do. Uh, they were concerned about my safety uh, was their first concern. But now they're super excited. Now they're energized and invigorated. My wife and kids, my kids are too young to understand what daddy's doing, which is probably a blessing. And my wife was concerned about what it would mean in terms of our family schedule. But uh, now she's also incredibly excited and supportive. So great. Well, um, please thank your family for supporting you because you're changing the game of the entire conversation, as I'm sure you know, but so many of us are, feel so grateful, so blessed that you're revolutionizing the way that this country sees the possibility of politics. Um, can we go into the UBI Freedom Dividend? How does that eradicate poverty, first of all, and how does that actually enhance our ability to be more innovative, creative, and flourish as a humanity. Well, the freedom dividend is not my idea. It's a very old idea. It's been championed by everyone from Martin Luther King to Thomas Paine, and now in more recent days by some entrepreneurs like Elon Musk. Uh, Barack Obama was very supportive of it in a speech a couple of years ago. And the idea is just to give people the money that they need to get by $1,000 a month freedom dividend is my plan. And the great thing is we can directly eradicate poverty by just putting money into people's hands. And studies have shown that it makes people healthier, mentally healthier, more positive and optimistic. And it would be a game changer in terms of our culture, our perspective towards each other. I think when you introduced me, you talked about the shift towards a mindset of abundance Right now, a mindset of scarcity has swept the United States and it's turning us against each other. And the easiest way to instill a mindset of abundance is by transforming our economy. The wonderful thing, and you say transforming our economy, it sounds impossible, but the wonderful thing is that we can control our capital flows more easily than we can control just about anything else. If we, as a people, come together and say that a dividend of $1,000 a month is a right of American citizenship, then it can happen overnight. And I was awakened to this possibility in part by the bailout of our Wall Street banks uh, for trillions of dollars during the financial crisis, where I looked up and said, wow, we can do that? Like, we can just give the banks trillions of dollars? And I thought at the time that it would have been much more effective to give the mortgage holders and the people that money, and that money would then go directly into the economy and then I started to reflect on what that would mean over time. I, I 
became convinced that we're automating away many, many American jobs. And then I became very passionate about the fact that we need a freedom dividend in order for our people to flourish, but also for our society to remain strong and whole during the greatest economic transformation in our history. So we hear you say that UBI is actually a deeply American idea that's been championed by a lot of great thinkers across American history, but it seems like there's still a lot of hurdles to change people's thinkings. Can you coach us a little bit? How do we talk with our friends about it to get them also as excited about this idea? You know, it depends upon who the friend is. Uh, there are certainly a couple of lines that, that uh, come up very consistently where if someone says, isn't that socialism? And then you can respond and say, well, it's actually capitalism where income doesn't start at zero. It's good for markets. It's good for businesses. It's good for people. And then they start thinking about it and say, wait, that that's right. It is the same economy. It's just people have money to spend. Uh, another objection people have is won't people stop working? And then you say, look, the studies have shown that only two groups of people work less. Moms who spend more time with their kids and teenagers who spend more time in school and everyone else works at the same levels. When they hear that, then they think about it and it makes sense. Uh, the third big one is where do you get the money or won't this cause inflation? And then you say, you can say we printed $4 trillion for the banks and did not cause any inflation. Our economy is up to more than $20 trillion. And in the scope of that, this amount of money will not cause much inflation. And so then they look at, they start thinking about it. Uh, it. A lot of it is based upon this knee-jerk reaction people have to the fact that we can do this for ourselves. When you look into it, you realize we 100% can do this for ourselves. We just need to have the vision and will. It's purely awakening people to the possibility. And this campaign, I'm happy to say, has been making a lot of progress in that. Uh, we see it every day. So great. The other piece of your campaign that is maybe has me even more excited is this whole concept of human-centered capitalism. That's kind of like, an, to me, an operating system upgrade, off of which UBI and all the other 100 policies is, is kind of like manifestations of this other operating system for society. Can you talk more about what human-centered capitalism means? Yeah, so right now our economic measurements revolve around three things, GDP, stock market prices, and headline unemployment rate. And GDP is perhaps the most misleading, that our GDP is at record highs, but we're also experiencing record high levels of suicides, drug overdoses, anxiety, depression. Our life expectancy has declined for the last three years because of suicides and drug overdoses. So you have to ask yourself, what good is a measurement of gross production if people's lives are getting worse? And you realize that we invented GDP almost 100 years ago. And during its invention, Simon Kuznets, the economist who came up with it, said this is a terrible measurement for national well-being and we shouldn't use it as that. And so then you reflect on what a better measurement of economic progress would be and you realize we have measurements for things like our own health and mental health, freedom from substance abuse, childhood success rates, environmental quality, job satisfaction. I mean, there are a lot of things that could go into a prosperous society. And so if you upgrade from GDP to these other measurements, which I call the American scorecard, then you can start to see, one, how big our problems are right now. 
but two, what resources you would need to actually make progress on those measurements. And so instead of celebrating gross production that will have less and less relationship to how we're doing, you actually measure how we're doing. And then if something helps us do better, then it's good. If something is hurting us, then it's bad. And then we can completely change the operating system because right now, I was just in Flint, Michigan. And right now, if you look at what it would cost to upgrade the infrastructure of those pipes, you look up and say, oh, well, this is tens of millions of dollars, uh, you know, too expensive for this community. But then if you say, wait a minute, the health of the people is actually how we measure how we're doing, then it becomes very straightforward to say, well, you know, if you extrapolate over the lives of these children and these people, then this money, instead of becoming a cost, becomes an investment. Teachers become an investment. Counselors become an investment. Helping your neighbor becomes economically beneficial instead of something that you do that, you know, just uh, that doesn't get included in the economy. So that's the big shift that we need to make. And we need to make it as fast as possible because the gross production and how people are doing uh, are now very, very different things. How did you come to be such a different thinking person? Like all these ideas, they're so reasonable. When you talk about it, it seems like, duh, it's so obvious we need to align our economy in that way. But why is that so unusual? And how did you come to think so differently from our mainstream politics? Well, I'm just like most of the people listening to this, I'm sure, where, you know, you have your own perspective. And uh, I studied economics, so I had a sense of how the system works. I've been in business for a long time, and so I understand how business incentives work. And I realized that right now our system has the wrong incentives, and it would not be that hard to, uh, to align the incentives at the top level, but you need to have control of government to do so. You need to go to the Bureau of Economic Analysis and say that GDP is archaic and out of date, and we need these new measurements. So my personal evolution is uh, from very unhappy lawyer for five months to failed entrepreneur to successful entrepreneur to nonprofit founder. And then if you start and run a nonprofit, and this is similar to your work, Edith, where you're trying to make people stronger and you realize that capital efficiency and helping people sometimes pull in opposite directions. And so that's how I arrived at this need. The other thing is that if you spend seven years working in the Midwest and the South, you realize that technology is blasting away many, many American jobs at historic levels and that many of these people are struggling to find new paths forward. Pay for us that kind of bifurcation that we have right now. Like what is the super dystopian future if we keep going down the trajectory we've been on? And what's the possibly more utopian future with AI and robots completely changing our economy? Tell us the, the kind of choice A and choice B that we're at. Well, you can see our current future ahead of us very clearly. And it's one reason why people listening to this hate politics so much is you look up and you see a political system that's in gridlock and nothing can really get done. And you have the same arguments. You have one cable network for one side and one cable network for the other side. Uh, meanwhile, our society is falling apart. Our kids are more anxious and depressed than ever. Drugs are at record highs. We're, we now have mass shootings at historic levels that are unthinkable. And the danger is that we actually start shrugging and saying, I guess this is just the way it is here in America. I mean, that's where we're heading, but it's going to get even worse 
when cars and trucks start driving themselves and artificial intelligence displaces millions of call center workers and other types of uh, business process employees. So that's the path we're on right now. It's very, very bleak. It's ugly. The only way that we can turn this around is by thinking of ourselves and work and value on a higher level. And it's possible. It is. All we need to do is get enough Americans on board with the fact that we can build a human-centered economy, which, you know, it's easier said than done, obviously. I mean, it's going to be, be a hall uh, opening people's hearts and minds. But if we get enough people on board, then we can rewrite the rules of our economy for ourselves. I mean, there, there's nothing stopping us from doing it. So that's the danger and the opportunity. I mean, the, the danger is why I'm running for president. I saw very clearly that if we did nothing, my kids were going to grow up in a country that was unrecognizable and that I thought I had a chance to hopefully steer us towards the more positive version of our future. That is still possible. It just requires millions of us getting together and fighting to make the case to our fellow citizens. You know, they say how you do one thing is how you do everything. Is this also how you run your life? Like as a human being, you know, you're always looking to take care of inefficiencies and do things the smarter way. Like, is this how you've always been as a person that you always kind of like call out the BS and clean up the inefficiencies and stand up for what's not right? Did Were you like that as a kid? Well, if you saw me at... Uh, Exeter, you know, I, I was the brooding, angsty teen who listened to the Smiths and the Cure. So I don't think that's really the optimizer <laughs> necessarily. Uh, and certainly, even in my life, I mean, I'm profoundly grateful to my wife and other people in my life where I, I think I'm good at focusing on a few really important things and then pushing very hard in those directions. Um, but it takes different types of people with different perspectives to make anything positive happen. And that's in an organization, certainly my team and the campaign, uh, my family, you know, we all have to contribute in the way that we're able to and maximize that uh, and hopefully have the right sort of people around us who will accept us for who we are and uh, build on our strengths and weaknesses. Most of our audience members are big, like personal growth and health nut types and have a spiritual practice. What tell us about your spiritual practice and your self-care? Because it takes um it takes a lot to stay aligned and stay passionate and stay consistent. I mean, this is a super huge long marathon. How do you bring that passion and energy constantly to every single interview? Because you know what you're telling us with so much love and so much passion, you've said millions of times already. How do you not get tired of it? Well, happily I try and say things a little bit differently each time. <laughs> but I, I believe very strongly in these ideas. Uh, and I see I have an historic opportunity to wake up millions of Americans very fast. Though, to your audience, uh, I know it's not always easy. You know, it's like if you're almost literally positive for a living, and then someone comes into your door, and then you're positive with them, there might be sometimes you don't feel the positivity. Maybe sometimes your spirituality is even harder to find. Um, I think that's one reason why our politicians seem like such automatons, because <laughs> it's, it, in many ways, 
uh, easier to head towards that mode of behavior than to have your heart and soul in everything that you do. I mean, in my case, I'm very fortunate that I'm running for president and we've accomplished a lot in a short period of time and that we have not that long a period of time to win this election. And so, you know, it's easier to stay energized if you know you're fighting for the future of the country and you only have a year to do it. One of the things that super impresses me about you is when I watch you on, you know, like the Ben Shapiro show and, and on Fox News and all of these other media networks or interviewers or, you know, also at the debates, they try to like pin you up against some other uh, candidate or try to kind of spite you to see if they can get you irritated or angry. And you never do. You never get defensive you never criticize somebody else. You just kind of like lift people up to a higher level of vision for the new possibilities. Like what, what's your thinking? Are you, are you consciously, do you have like a little mantra? Like, don't get offended. Don't get offended. Stay on track. Like, how do you stay like that? So consistently across thousands of interviews. Well, that's so kind of you to say, Edith. Uh, I don't really think of myself as being necessarily, you know, extraordinary. I'm just being myself. And I'm somewhat hard to offend. You know, it's like if someone does something obnoxious in an interview, uh, I just chalk it up to the fact that they're in a particular role. And sometimes they're even playing a character. It's kind of ridiculous. Like if the camera goes on and they become one person, the camera goes off and then they start talking differently. So uh, the goal is just to get the message out. And to me, uh, if I became indignant or upset at someone, it would be unhelpful. <laughs> and so you just try and maximize uh, the usefulness of any interview or interaction. And I just don't see any benefit in uh, getting upset at somebody. That is so awesome and so refreshing and so rare in the world in general, but especially in politics. So I think just, just seeing your example on TV is so great for young people to see that there's a whole different way of engaging with social activism where we don't have to get angry all the time and be fighting and creating more wars upon wars, that there's like a high level of conversation that is possible when we see a problem in the world and we want to fight for what's right. You know, it doesn't have to be with this kind of like defensive, um, angry kind of energy all the time. Yeah, this, this been an adjustment for me. I mean, certainly at the debates, they kept trying to have me uh, say something mean about someone else's plan or a person <laughs> or whatnot. Uh, and I didn't even realize they were, they were doing a split screen until after the fact. I was like, oh, look at that. I didn't even realize <laughs> they, wanted, but you can they see wanted me to somehow throw a rock at Right, a huge Joe or whatever. <laughs> you got you you got by far the hugest cheers on the debate stage because you were speaking to what really resonates. Like nobody, people are like tuning out when all the politicians are talking on top of each other. They just want to turn off the TV. We've had enough of that, you know. Well, I've certainly had enough of that, and I, I am completely with you that most Americans are fed up, and that if we have someone who just wants to solve problems, that that can actually sweep the country. And that I am the opposite of Donald Trump and that he's this exhausting spectacle. And I'm going to be quite, mm, let, let's say I'll be quite uniform <laughs> in the sense that, you know, it's like there's not going to be much uh, in the way of uh, tirades or rants 
Like, I just want to try and actually get the work done. Yeah. I think we're ready for it. I hope that this country is ready for this fresher kind of thinking and just, you know, we've had enough drama. Let's move on to create a better life for everybody. Um, yeah, that, that's the hope. I, I think that there are enough of us where we can make this movement successful very quickly, that it's going to surprise everybody. Well, however this presidential campaign unfolds, you've already made a huge splash and it's clear that you've already dramatically, you've created the tipping point of thinking in this country for sure. So just already congratulations on what you've already done. You know, whether or not you get the nomination, you've already made a huge impact in this country. So I just like, I'm beyond words how grateful I am that you've, um, you've got the courage and the resources and the heart, the soul, the energy and all the logistics aligned to make this campaign happen. Well, thank you, Edith. But the goal really is to go all the way in the sense that like, I, I'm, I'm not in for um, nicely done kind of like clap on the back. I mean, the fact is our society is getting ripped apart and there are limited ways that we can keep it together and we can change it. But thank you. I mean, I, I'm very grateful and appreciative. And sometimes I do reflect on how far we've come. But in true immigrant fashion, you know, as soon as something happens, that's good. It's like, OK, like, uh, let's try and get to the next level. <laughs> and so it, it's, uh, it's really an opportunity right in front of us that uh, change can happen faster than most anyone thinks. So I know your time is very precious. You get called to all kinds of interviews all day long. And also after the, the big push to prepare for that awesome debate, I'm sure you could use some resting time. So um, I'd love to wrap up this conversation with last two questions. Second to last question is how can we follow and support your work? Be incredibly grateful uh, for any support. My website is yang2020.com. Uh, the campaign is growing all the time. Uh, we're poised to make the fall debates. We have over 150,000 individual donors. And if you want to keep up with the campaign, we're on all the social media. Just ping us, put your email, follow me on Twitter. Uh, ideally, just make a donation of any amount at yang2020.com, and then you'll be with us every step of the way. Awesome. And those of us that want to volunteer, what are all the ways that you'd like us to support your campaign beyond just the donations? Well, the best way to help is to spread the word to other people, to let them know that we can change our society for the better and we can rewrite the rules to work for us. And then if you really want to get political, uh, we have volunteers who call people in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina because those are the voters that are going to help shape the presidential election. And I promise it's more fun than it sounds because the people are very nice and a lot of them are happy to talk to you. Awesome. I've been really active in your Facebook base camp group of your really gung-ho supporters. I'm so impressed by the passion and also the, the kindness, the good heartedness of everybody that's supporting your campaign. And just like, oh, it's like that little taste of that future possibility where it's like the ex-Trump supporter and ex-Bernie supporters, the libertarians and the super left-wing um, socialist idealists and everybody in between the centrist, the entrepreneurial types, the stay-in-the-home mom types. And I know personally my community, a lot of um, moms that are at home with um, children with special needs are really moved by your platform and um, just 
is is that taste of what's possible when we unite everybody and stop all this divisive rhetoric. You know, there's such a beautiful new world we could create together as a community. Oh, that that's so tremendous. I'm so glad that you've had that experience. I have too. This campaign really does bring people together in incredible new ways. It's the happiest gang I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, and my boy, my boy is a huge fan of the Yang Gang rap. He'll, he probably knows all the words. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, he he requested. He's like, Mama, can we listen to the Yang Gang music again? He he goes around saying, Hey, do you know what the Freedom Dividend is? So you're gonna meet him when you come to San Francisco when when we're at our event. You're gonna meet my little boy. Maybe he'll do a little Yang Gang dance for you. That'll be so fun. All right. My very last question, the most important question of all. The show, at the end of the day, is about tapping into our highest level of human possibilities. Throughout all your experience in life, you were uh, you studied economics in college, and then you were a lawyer, unhappily for five months. Then you created many different ventures, some successful, some not as successful. Throughout all those ups and downs and then running your own nonprofit, and now running for president, you've engaged with so many different types of people, so many different communities. If you could distill it down to just one thing, what do you feel is the single most important thing we should know to tap into our highest level of human possibilities? That we all have these feelings of self-doubt and resentment and selfishness, and then we all have these feelings of possibility and optimism and generosity and that when you feel yourself veering towards the former uh just recognize that you're getting plagued by this mindset of scarcity where you think that there's not enough where you think that things can go wrong and that the opposite of that is a mindset of abundance where if you invest your time things will go right people will support you that good things and great things are still possible and the most important thing I've used on myself is just to recognize when you're getting plagued by thoughts of scarcity. And just even in my case, I, I we have a joke on the campaign, but just you can even say mindset of abundance <laughs> to yourself. It actually helps. And then you become more optimistic and thoughtful and generous. And good things happen in ways that reinforce themselves. Like as you make good things happen and people realize that uh, you're trying to move the ball forward and you're not about uh, any kind of other agenda or conflict, then the mindset of abundance ends up feeding itself. Uh, and that's been the way that I've been able to move forward. Uh, and we all have the, the doubts. We all do. but we all also have this spirit of abundance within us that you'll find moves other people in incredible ways that there have been so many people that have come forward to help me and in every venture, successful, unsuccessful, certainly this presidential campaign, literally millions of people at this point. Uh, and so just remind yourself that uh, abundance is possible. Wow. Thank you so much for those beautiful words of wisdom. It's so inspiring that you're not just talking the talk, but you're walking the walk and you're out there changing our thinking and really 
actively creating a whole different possibility of a society where we live those. We don't just talk about it on TED Talks or, or write books about it. We actually act on it and set up society that's aligned in this completely different way. I'm so excited to be alive. Every time I hear you talk, it blows my mind yet another level. So I am beyond words with gratitude for all that you're doing on this campaign trail. Thank you so much to you and to your entire campaign team for making all this possible. I'm more excited than ever about being American these days and it's completely thanks to you. And thank you so much for making time to chat with us. Thank you, Edith. I can't wait to, to meet you and your son in person and we will see you very soon. Thank you for being such an awesome human. Let's show America what's possible. Woohoo! Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Hi, friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, DrEdithUbuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.